Welcome to Can They Do That? brought to you by Scott Law Team, the employment law firm. We are excited to discuss recent employment issues and events that affect your everyday life. Keep in mind this podcast is educational and is not a substitute for legal advice or professional consultation. If you need help, you can reach us at scottlawteam.com. My name is Gabe Roberts, and I'm the Jacksonville partner for the Scott Law Team. Here, along with our marketing director, Rachel Kelly. Rachel, how are you doing? I'm living the dream. How about you, Gabe? I cannot complain. So for today, I have an interesting question to pick your brain. So from my understanding, let's just start with some background information. Your undergraduate was in sports management, right? <laughs> uh, it was sport management, singular sport, which if, uh, mm. if I had any friends who listen to this, they will laugh at that correction. But uh Yes, my undergrad degree was in sport management. Okay, and then you went into law school, obviously, and here now you're a lawyer at Scott Law Team. That's doesn't really need to be said, but one of your practice areas that's kind of overlapping with employment law is entertainment law. Can we talk a little bit about that today? Yeah, of course. I'd love to talk about the overlap between employment, entertainment, sports are part of it. You know, when we talk about sports and entertainment, those two are put together, and I think there's a overarching employment context to all that as well. Let's dive right into that right away. So you say that there's a little bit of an overlap between sport and entertainment. Why is that? Yeah, I mean, there's the obvious non-legal answer, which is that there are things that we watch when we need an escape from reality and want to have fun. But from a legal perspective, there's a lot of similarities in contracts, with whether it's with an athlete or a musician or a uh, an actor and the representation that they have as far as having agents and marketers and people to represent their interests, particularly because for a lot of those individuals, they are signing these contracts with someone who is ostensibly their employer, right? Whether that's a professional baseball player who's signing a contract with a baseball team, or that is a actor who's signing a contract with a studio to be in a movie. It's a similar idea to signing an employment agreement with you know, the company down the street. Interesting. Okay. So obviously if there's similarities, there's probably also differences. Otherwise it would just all be employment law, right? <laughs> well, it, yes, of course, there's going to be differences and in, in the idea that there's different industry standards. And, and also when you look at, you know, well, I mean, it could be an overlap, but when you look at the areas of entertainment and, and sports, there's a lot more collective bargaining, a lot more union agreements. We're just coming out of what's been what, almost six months of strikes in Hollywood with the writers and the actors, and, and that happens because of collective bargaining and because of unions. Similar things have happened in sports in recent years. We've had both lockouts and strikes, and those are more common in those industries than in other uh, general employment industries. Yes, we do have walkouts and we do have strikes. I mean, Starbucks workers walked out on strike uh, because of the labor practices of that company. So it happens in larger industries, but in general, the main difference is that, uh, particularly in a state like Florida, where we live and work, things like that are not as common. That's good to know. Diving a little bit more into entertainment law, just so everybody understands exactly what is covered by entertainment law, what are the top, I guess, topics, for lack of a better term, that fall under entertainment law, excluding sports, as we've already mentioned, sports? Yeah, I would say... I mean, it's going to depend on the type of entertainment you're talking about, right? We're talking about music, we're talking about film, movies, writing, voice voice acting, things of that nature. There's going to be different areas, but the main thing we're going to be talking about, and this is part of where the employment context comes in today and it's part of our podcast episode, is the idea of intellectual property. And if you create something, 
in, in the entertainment concept, let's say you create something for the purposes of entertaining others, is that yours? Do you own it? Does the studio own it? Does your team own it? Does your boss own it? Who controls that property? And that's what we want to talk about today. And that's a big question today. As the social media person for Scott Law Team, it's actually interesting to know. So Exhibit A, I had a situation where I was talking with somebody and they were mentioning that they were worried about getting their, their website up and running again for their business because they no longer had contact with the person who created the website. And they were worried that that website no longer belonged to the company and they were not able to edit it or update it or even access it. Now, it asks that very particular question of who owns the content that is created for a company. Yeah, and not to give the standard cliche lawyer answer, but it's going to depend on on who owns that, right? The social media is a its own kind of unique special uh, offset that I'll get to more in a second. But in general, the rule is that if an employee uh, creates something that's in the scope of their employment, that belongs to the employer, right? So in the context of social media, yeah, there's an argument that if you're a social media director and you're creating content for your company's social media, that content belongs to the company and not to you. And that's going to be the general rule on a question like that. So when it's part of your job responsibilities to create the content for, let's say, social media or for the website, and there's some sort of issue that comes about, some sort of dispute, because that content really belongs to the employer, is it the employer who's held liable or is it the person who created it? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's going to depend uh, on what kind of issues we're talking about here, right? I mean, if... You're talking about a situation of, I'm trying to think of a, a good example, uh, a company's social media spreading disinformation that leads to somebody hurting somebody else. Um, who's responsible for that? Is it the company who owns that social media that's being created or is it the individual that posts it? You know, that's that's honestly probably an undecided area of the law that that's going to be a tricky thing. The idea of liability for social media is a... Uh, a newly developing and, and growing area. Just last year, we had two cases in front of the U.S. Supreme Court that covered a similar idea as far as the liability of social media companies when their algorithms cause people to to harm others, right? Those were cases involving YouTube and I believe it was Twitter um, where the algorithms had led somebody to come across information that radicalized that person to become a terrorist and harm others. And the individuals, the family, the people who was who were harmed, they sued those those tech companies and went to the Supreme Court to to see whether the company could be liable for that. And the court came down and said, no, if if it's just their algorithm and they're not actively pushing that on the person, then they're going to be uh, they're not going to have liability under something called Section Two Thirty, which is a whole other podcast episode in itself. But in the context, to go back to your question about employees and and lower stake situations, who's liable for it. It could be either. It could be both uh, in a legal sense. You know, most likely if, if someone wanted to sue somebody for a social media post, they're probably going to sue both the person who did the post if they know who it was and the company. Interesting. That's good to know. So obviously social media, if you're hiring somebody to work your social media, you should be, there should be a channel of communication um, just at the least, the very bare minimum. Um, so talking about this, 
creating content and having ideas and the ownership of it, let's talk a little bit about the intellectual property aspect of it. If somebody has an idea for a business, who owns that? It's an interesting question to go to the beginning, um, the eureka moment, so to speak, of creating a business and who owns that, right? It's almost like you're, I don't know if you saw the movie Glass Onion, you're you're, you're kind of, not to give a spoiler, but you're kind of describing uh, part of the issue in in that movie, right? Who who invented the that mythical tech company that let the man create uh, his island where he you know hosts his elaborate murder mysteries, and uh, you know that movie <laughs> ended in a in a quite a fiery way and not necessarily a legal way, but situations like that typically do end up in litigation if you're talking about larger companies as far as who created it and, and who thought of it. But I I, I want to focus more on the you know, not, not to say the smaller issues, but the the more day-to-day concerns of company already exists and someone works there and that person invents something or thinks of an idea or creates something and the idea of what happens to that creation, to that invention. Does it belong to them? Does it belong to their employer? What happens if there's an issue down the line and, and where do those things go? Because that is frankly, a, a very interesting area of the law and, and somewhere I could see a lot of, of movement in the near future. Well, let's talk about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say I was partially inspired to want to talk about this because of a, a book I read recently about the Mattel company, which which uh, owns and, and creates the Barbie doll. And Barbie obviously is having a, a great year and based on that fantastic movie that came out. And uh, But Mattel, the corporation, has been uh, known as a very litigious corporation over its history. And by that, I mean they file a lot of lawsuits to protect their intellectual property because if you're a toy company, <laughs> your, your entire value is based on the fact that you're the only one who owns those toys and can create those toys. There was a, a book written by a, a law professor out in California about a particular litigation involving essentially uh, the Barbie doll and, and the Bratz doll and the question of – who who owns what? And the idea of that came from the fact that the person who uh, allegedly, most likely, it's kind of disputed, but let's just say the person who had the initial idea for for Bratz dolls, which uh, at one point were the the first toy ever to outsell Barbie, uh, the person who thought of the idea for those dolls, he was an employee of Mattel, and he worked for Mattel, uh, creating, and he was a uh, a fashion designer, I believe, for the Barbie doll. So he created clothing for Barbie, and then he thought of Bratz. And when Mattel uncovered this, they sued the company that made Bratz, and they said, because the person who thought of this idea was our employee at the time he thought of it, Bratz actually belonged to us, Mattel, and therefore we should own both Barbie and Bratz. And it led to lengthy litigation and an interesting idea of what happens in the employment world when when you invent something and then your company tries to say, no, it, it's ours? Interesting. Now, Gabe, I have a very serious question for you. Are you a Barbie person or a Bratz person? <laughs> I've, I've got to admit that, uh, unfortunately, I had a very traditional upbringing in that sense, and so I can't say I really played with either much as a kid. Uh, I, I will say, though, that um, I, I'm, a, I'm a Barbie person over an Oppenheimer person. How about that? I would say that I thought Barbie was my my favorite movie I've seen so far this year, and uh, I thought Oppenheimer was long and boring and made me very angry at the end. So that's that's what I'll say about that. <laughs> All right, and we'll leave it at that so that way we don't rile up the crowd. So it does sound like there's this question about 
okay, we deal with non-competes in the employment world. That's something that we typically offer as a service is overlooking those contracts as a contract review. And so it brings this idea where if somebody has an idea, um, such as the person with the Brad stall, aren't there contracts about this where if you work for a specific type of company, then maybe you're restricted in the type of things you can do after exiting that company? Yeah, and restricted is, is the right word when we're talking about this because a lot of times it does come down to what sort of restrictions are in place. And legally speaking, we often refer to these things as restrictive covenants uh, being the the terms in a contract that, that restrict what you can do, whether that's a non-compete that restricts where you can work, a non-solicit that restricts who you can talk to, uh, a non-disclosure that restricts what you can share. And then sometimes you have these uh, assignment agreements or ownership agreements that essentially restrict what you what you own and what you can do with the thing you created. Now, not every company has contracts. Not every employee or worker in the world has a contract. And so what I'm saying now is going to apply to situations where there is a contract in place and that contract sets the parameters for what happens with inventions and creations and, and who owns things and how they're assigned. And in general, the the sort of standard language you see in a lot of these contracts is that anything that's created during the term of employment or during the term of the contract creates an ownership right in the company, in the employer. They get the benefit of that. And so a lot of times these contracts actually go beyond what the general rule is, which the general rule, again, is that anything you create in the scope of your employment usually belongs to your employer. A lot of contracts go beyond that and go outside the scope of the employment and, and basically say anything you did that happened <laughs> during a time when you may or may not have been thinking about your job or may or may, or may not have been being paid by your job, uh, that's that's mine as, as your boss. And so if you are somebody who works in an industry where you're getting an employment agreement, you will want to look through that agreement for a few things, not just you know how much money are you making and when does your job start and what does it take to be fired and how long are you going to work? But you should also look for things like assignment and inventions and things like that to see what happens if maybe you're doodling uh, one day on your lunch break and that doodle turns into a successful comic book. Do you own that comic book? Does your boss own that comic book? Does it matter that you made a comic book about uh, somebody who falls in a vat of radioactive waste and gains superpowers and you happen to work in a factory with radioactive waste and is that what inspired you to think of your superpowers? You know, those are all things that <laughs> if there's a contract in place, that will kind of decide it. And if there's no contract in place, then it you know it's up in the air sometimes. Now, would you say that the law leans one way or another in these sorts of situations? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm I'm jaded, and so I think the law always leans against the side of the individual. But um, that's you know that's just my own maybe pessimistic view on things. Um, I would say though that in general, the the law currently, as it is, you know, more often than not, sides on the idea of things invented and things invented or thought of or created in the scope of employment belong to the employer. Things that are outside the scope of employment do not. Um, however, if there's a contract in place and that contract says what will happen, courts are very reluctant to go outside of contractual language. And so that's why it's important. If you're a company who is going to be employing people that are going to be employed in creative professions, you're going to want to make sure there are strong protections in place so that your employees can't create something while you're paying them. And then they go off and, and get to exploit it, even though you're the one who gave them the resources to think of it.
But on the other side, if you are somebody who is creative by nature or is an inventor by nature and you're concerned about your boss or your company trying to take advantage of that, make sure that if you're signing an employment agreement that there's nothing in there that will say they get the rights to anything you create during your employment because that can be very dangerous in the future. So we're talking about the instance of when there is a contract. But as you said, the majority of people, or maybe just a handful of people, even if it was just one person who doesn't have a contract, what should they do, either employee or employer? Yeah, if you are like most people in the world and you don't have an employment contract that you can look to to figure out what happens to your creations, um, you should look for the employee handbook. A lot of times, employee handbooks will include information on not just this context, not just the idea of in inventions and ownership, but also a lot of other terms of employment that may be included in a contract that you don't have, and they might be in that handbook. So if you're an employee and you're concerned about that, you should look for your handbook. Likewise, if you're an employer and, and you are concerned about what happens with my you know, my employees' social media, let's, let's say they're posting things on their personal social media about work. Do, do I own that? Do they own that? What happens if I fire them? What happens if they post something I don't like? How do I control that? Uh, if you are an employer and you're concerned about those things and, and you don't necessarily want to give all of your employees contracts because that could cause other issues, have a handbook and make sure that handbook is, is clear as far as what happens in those situations. And I highly recommend having this handbook revised by a labor and, and employment attorney. Um, I know there's been situations that I've heard about where maybe somebody drafted up their own handbook. A company thought, oh, yeah, we could just do it internally. And then it violates some concerted protective activities. It, it can. I mean, that's <laughs> it can be tricky because you want to have a handbook that protects you as a company and also informs your employees of what their processes are to make complaints, what their rights are, what protections they have, what things are allowed or not allowed in the workplace. But you also don't want to go too far, right? There are protections in place that make it so that employees should have the ability to have freedom in the workplace to discuss certain things, such as their pay, promotions, things of that nature, and the ability to work together to improve the conditions of the workplace. The ability to do that is protected by the law. And so, you know, when we're saying have a handbook in place to make sure that you can have an idea of what happens in situations, that's not the same thing as saying have a handbook in place to make sure you can control everything your employees say because you shouldn't be doing that. As a good rule of thumb, be a good person. Well, Rachel, I appreciate all your questions on this uh, topic of the overlap between entertainment, sports, intellectual property, employment, and how it all works together. I hope that this topic was interesting to others. And if anybody has any questions about anything we discussed, if there was any general areas we didn't go over that you want more information on, please do not hesitate to contact our office or check out our website, scottlawteam.com. You can also follow all of our social media at Scott Law Team. And for Scott Law Team, I'm Gabe Roberts.